All right, so anybody know how long it's been since we've been journeying through the book of John? Anybody keeping track? Anybody putting tally marks at home on the wall? How many weeks have gone by? Wow, that is pretty good. You've been listening online. You said 25. It's been 24. That, that, that is good. You preached the next one. That was good. <laughs> one ahead. 24 weeks we've been in the Gospel of John. And in 24 weeks, hopefully by now, you know why John wrote the Gospel of John. Why did he record those things? He stated it for himself, or for us, but he stated it himself in chapter 20, that he's recorded these things that we might know that Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing in him that we might have eternal life. That it would be this Jesus, the Son of God, who would come, that ultimately, as we will continue studying, will give his life for us, as he did. That he would be the ultimate sacrifice, that he would die, as we read today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, once and for all. That he paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven just by believing in him. And as I say that, this past week, there's been another passage that's continually popping up to me. If you're going through the F260 plan with us as a church, Tuesday's reading included some reading in the book of Colossians. And there was a passage in Colossians 3 that throughout the week, that passage continued to come back to me over and over again. And thus I've decided this morning that I'm going to go over there and jump into Colossians this morning. Because we've been for 24 weeks going through the Gospel of John. In that 24 weeks, we've seen that Christ has come and testified through his works, through his miracles of who he is. We just went through seeing him walk on water, feed 5,000, give the discourse that he is the bread of life, that whoever would come and believe in him would have everlasting life. But what about for those of us who have believed? Now what? Now what do we do? Well, we keep believing. That's why we continue to study the book of John. So we continue to have our hope in Christ. But this morning we're going to look at a message called Christian living. Christian living. I want to bring it home and make it very practical this morning. But I have to tell you that when we do that, you really need to strap on your seatbelt this morning. Because some of us might want to say, stage right. I'm out. Because as the practical application comes, it says, now that we have faith in Christ, here's what that looks like. Here's what it looks like to be a Christian. You know, it's easy for us to say, I believe in Jesus. Anybody could say they believe in Jesus. But what does it look like in somebody who has genuine faith in Christ? They should look different than the rest of the world. There should be a change in them. So if you're taking notes, this morning, Christian living, we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, and looking at three points this morning. One is the holy mindset. And two is holy put-offs. And then three is holy put-ons. Holy mindset, holy put-offs, and holy put-ons. Let's go ahead and pray together before we open up God's Word. Father, we have transitioned this morning into the book of Colossians, God, as you give clear direction to us that for the believer, for those who have been raised in Christ, that we're to walk in Christ. That, Lord, that we're to put on certain things of Christ. And that we're to put off certain things of this world. Father, I pray this morning as we go through this study that your spirit would illuminate your truth to us. That your spirit would empower your words to us. 
And that, God, you would receive all the honor and glory from this day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's interesting to jump out of a verse-by-verse teaching through John and jump into Colossians 3 this morning if you've been going to Sunday school. So a Sunday school class with Pastor Manny right now, they're on a study, just finished this morning, in expositional preaching. Of what that means. What does it mean to teach expositionally? For those of you that are not in that study, it basically means you're being taught from the Scriptures what the intended message is in the Scriptures. That's what the sermon is. It's not the pastor's message. It's the message of the Bible. And most people assume that means you have to go verse by verse through an entire book, and you're looking at me going, Pastor, you just jumped to Colossians 3. Well, we can still teach expositionally from chapter 3 of Colossians. But in order to do that, we have to understand the book of Colossians. Anybody have time to go through the whole book? Sure, I love it. Thank you. All right, let's give you an overview real quick. If you look back in chapter 1, flip, I know I told you Colossians 3, but look back at chapter 1. Let's put it in its proper context. Let's see who this letter was written to. It's written by the Apostle Paul. But in verse 2 of Colossians chapter 1, you'll see who the audience is. It's written to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Paul writes, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So who's it written to? It's written to believers. This letter is written to believers. If you're here today, 2,000 years later, and you are a believer, guess what? This is applicable to you. This letter is written to believers. Paul starts here in this letter, and he's praising God for their genuine faith in the gospel. But then he shares a prayer. If you jump down to verses 9 and 10, he shares a prayer that they might bear fruit and live a life pleasing to God. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says, And so from the day we heard it, and he's speaking about their genuine faith, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Church, I'm going to stop real quick. You ever wonder how to pray for somebody? I mean, this is a side note. This is a footnote. It doesn't belong in the sermon, but it belongs in our minds. That's how you pray for somebody. Pray that they would grow in the Lord. Pray that they would bear fruit in the Lord. That they would walk in every good work. Again, if you skip to the next chapter, chapter 2, verse 6, Paul continues to urge them to walk in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. Paul's saying, I've heard of your faith. I heard that you have genuine faith in the Lord. I praise God that you have genuine faith, but now walk in him. Look like Christ. Imitate him. And as he instructs them and encourages them, he's going to give them practical application. Now, I'm looking around. I know that many of us here this morning have repented and put our trust in our faith in Christ, that we have come to Christ, that we have been born again, and that this instruction comes to us this morning. That this is now us being encouraged to walk like Christ. To be more Christ-like. And sadly, some of us have tried this on our own. Oh, I just need to be more holy. And we've gone about it on our own way, and we've left being defeated, discouraged. Like I, I tried to be more holy, and I keep failing. So Paul is going to give divine teaching through God's Word here. Um, church, let me assure you this, 
that what God commands us, he enables us. Let me say that again. What God expects from us, he will equip us to do that. See, there are times that many of us will look at God's word and go, well, that's good teaching for, you know, maybe Jesus to do. Maybe the pastor is able to do that, but I surely couldn't do that. But what God commands, he enables us to obey. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We read this. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Notice something there? He's given us what? All things. Everything that we need for life and godliness, He has given us. We don't have to pray for it anymore. We don't say, God, I just need more love for these people. He's already given us that. God, I just need more fill in the blank. We have all things to the Spirit of God. He's given us all things. This is great news for the believers. That once we were enslaved in darkness, but now we're free to walk in the light. We're free. This is the Christian's life. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The Christian's life. At the end of chapter 2 in Colossians, Paul argues that a bunch of people have tried to walk in holiness. They try to add a bunch of do's and don'ts to their life. A bunch of man-made rules. You ever hear people talk about Christianity as a bunch of do's and don'ts? Well, you know what? There are some things God says abstain from. Things that are not good for you. Things that will destroy. And there are others that are good for you. But in man's own so-called wisdom, he invents his own rules. And he says, I shouldn't do this. Don't, don't touch that. Don't look at that. Don't do this. And he thinks somehow he's going to grow in holiness. Paul at the end of chapter 2 says, that's foolishness. That does not help. It doesn't help a bit. He says, these things are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's Colossians 2.23. So the question this morning is, Christian living, what must we do to walk in holiness? I mean, let me, let me ask you. Did anybody wake up out of bed this morning and start floating? Anybody test themselves on water and just see if you can walk across some water this morning? Because I'm going to guess none of you were able to do that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to guess some of you got up this morning and, and bones are creaking and, and body's aching and that was the first thing you're thinking of. You weren't thinking about holiness. You were thinking about just get me out of bed. I just need help getting up. So the holiness part didn't just come automatically to my mind of, oh, walk in holiness. It was just walk, physically walk. Just get up. It didn't come natural to me. So Paul's going to give some instruction here that we need to put on these things. There are things that we need to activate, initiate, that they're already given to us. We need to walk in those things. We need to use those things. So Paul's going to show us what we must do in order to glorify God in all things, in the way we think, in what we say, and in what we do. Think about that. In what you think, in what you say, and in what you do. So let's turn to our passage in, in Colossians chapter 3 this morning first thing we must do to glorify God in all that we think and say and do is found in our first point. Point number one is a holy mindset. A holy mindset. Starting in Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, Paul writes, if then you have been raised with Christ, stop there church, are you born again? Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you been reconciled to God? 
Have you received the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have, that's you. He's speaking to you. You have been raised with Christ. He says, if that's you, here's what you do. Seek the things that are above. Church, what's he speaking of? Is he saying just look like up? There's a projector. Heavenly. Godly. Think above the circumstances around us. He says, where Christ is, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, he says, set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on the world. Think about it. Think about the application of that. I talked about just bones creaking this morning. How quickly does that draw our attention? But if we could think beyond that, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5 this morning, that this tent might be groaning, but there is a home of eternity that is forevermore. That if I could set my mind above the circumstances of this world and on heaven, oh, all is good. God is good. That though this body groans and though there's pain, my God is good. And all is well with my soul. He says, you have died, verse 3, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You say, well, I'm alive, aren't I? He says, I've died. See, our new identity is in Christ. And you say, what? It's not me anymore? Let me explain the beauty of that. See, when Christ died, he died for our sins. He died so that we could be forgiven, that the debt that was against us could be removed. No more debt. But then when he rose, he rose for our justification, meaning we would be clothed in his righteousness. So let me ask you a question this morning. When the Father looks upon you, do you want him to see you or do you want him to see Christ? So I said, Jesus, please. Okay? That's the beauty of the gospel. To be justified is just if I never sinned. It's that God the Father would look at me and he would see his son in me. So my identity is Christ. That's what he's speaking of. You've died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. Verse 4. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. There is a promise. A great promise of hope. Paul starts off the chapter with the word seek and set. And those Greek words are in the present tense. They mean keep seeking and keep setting. It's not a one-time thing. And, you know, we have something, and, and I spoke of this morning Bible study, we, we call it Christianese. It's like a language that we speak amongst Christians. And one of those things is a quiet time. We ask each other, do you have a quiet time with the Lord? Well, if you only have a quiet time, let's say you have five, ten minutes in the morning or an hour or two hours, but you never spend time with the Lord again, that is a past tense. You set your mind on him. You sought after him. What is spoken of here is to continue seeking, continue setting, that this is something that's continual with you. Now, don't say the pastor said not to have a quiet time. It's good to spend time quietly with the Lord without distraction. But what you're feeding on his word should be something you chew on and meditate on throughout the day. It should be something that goes with you that you interact with throughout the day, not just a check mark that I did that this morning. I read my verses. But it's something that's living and breathing. I'm seeking and I'm setting my mind on things that are above. It is a consistency throughout the day. It's not just waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, help me today to get out of bed and to get up 
and to get going, and then that's it. It's a continual mindset throughout the day that as we go, we're continuing to interact with the Lord. It's a constant fixing of our eyes upon Jesus. I want you to think about the application of fixing your eyes upon things above. Got things going on in your life that aren't so great? Maybe circumstances? Maybe difficulties? What happens when you stare at those things? You get drawn in. Yeah, I like that description. You get drawn in. And then what happens? You go deeper in those things. And you go deeper in those things. And, oh, I have this ailment. Oh, it could be this and it could be that. And, oh, my goodness. And, and you just start spinning out of control. But if you raise your eyes above and you go, my God's sovereign. My God's in complete control. He knows all the details of this. He knows the pain. He knows the sorrow. He knows everything that goes along. Wow, I'm okay. You know, the world will call it, you know, is the, half, is the glass half full or half empty? Well, that's not half. But if I look at that and I go, oh, no. I already drank about a, a, a fourth of that. It's going to be gone soon. Oh, what am I going to do if I run out of water? And then my mind continues to go down that way. But if I go, God, you have provided three quarters of this. God, you will sustain me. God, you are good. And I focus on God, not the world. Everything will be fine. He says, set your mind on things that are above. Church, it doesn't get more practical than that. It's a holy mindset. And where your mind goes, the rest of your emotion, everything else will go too. That it starts with a thought. And that thought can either spin you down out of control or it could send you up into rejoicing and glorifying God. It's a holy mindset. And if you go back to my God is for me, and if my God is for me, who could be against me? If my God who created the world and everything in it can do that, then surely he's going to take care of everything else. If I can go back into the confidence that God is in control and God is sovereign over these things and keep my mind with that holy mindset, then honestly, all is well with my soul. That though this body might groan and might go through aches and pains, everything is okay because God is in control. But we must purpose to live this out. We must purpose to put on that holy mindset because you are just like me in that when things happen, our attention goes there. That fast. You could be in the middle of singing a hymn and rejoicing in the Lord, and then you get news on the phone about something, and you're like, oh my goodness, and you're out of control. Anybody relate to that at all? Nobody? Okay. You guys are super saints. But it's that quick. But Paul is saying, put on a holy mindset. Remember who you are in Christ, that you're not like the world that you are the chosen of God. We're going to see him talk about that shortly. But fix our attention on him. Walk by his spirit. Think about it. We were once dead. Now we're alive in Christ. We can do what we know we're once not able to do. And because we're alive in Christ, guess what the truth is? That this life's no longer really about us. It's about him. It's his spirit dwelling in us. That we're like, we're, we're this temple with him dwelling and we're taking him. And we're bringing glory to him wherever we go. This life's about him. But my flesh, you guys know, it's about three people. You got it by now. Me, myself, and I. That's all it cares about. Flesh, that's all it cares about. And that's what it'll continue to go back to. It'll continue to revert to that every single time. But Paul says, fix your eyes, your hearts, your minds on Jesus. 
fix your eyes, your heart, your mind on him and walk by his spirit. And we don't have to worry about anything else. This is first and foremost. It's a mindset. Before we get into any of the holy put-offs and the holy put-ons, if we don't have a holy mindset, nothing else matters. If we don't realize that we are his and that he's in complete control and that my life belongs to him, nothing else matters. The put-offs and the put-ons don't matter because the motivation for those is the holy mindset. That I have to think about things above. That I'm going to think about the reality that I'm in Christ. That I am his that I have an eternity waiting for me. And this life that he has given me is now to bring him glory. Church, that changes everything. When we're in a situation, a circumstance, how do I respond to that? If I have a holy mindset, I'm representing Christ. Christ, how do I respond in this? That would bring you glory. But without a holy mindset, how do I defend myself? How do I get my point across? How do I make them do this or do that? And how do I manipulate people? Follow me? I know none of you ever do any of those things. But I have to put on a holy mindset. Start with that. Point number two is the holy put-offs. Holy put-offs. Continue with me in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 5 through 11. He starts with put to death. We'll talk about that shortly. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now, you guys see the contrast? He just talked about above, heavenly, and now he's talking about what is earthly. I'm to set my mind upon, I'm to seek what is above, but now I'm to put off what is earthly in me. He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Look at verse 7. He says, in these you two once walked. Guess what kind of tense that is? Past tense. In the past. He said, you once did these things too. He said, you once walked in these. He says, when you were living in them, but now, present tense, but now you must put them all away. You ready? Buckled up, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Put all those into one category. You guys see how all those are related? You ever been upset before? No, never. I have the peace that surpasses all understanding. I've never experienced being upset. Of course we have. How do we respond to that? How do you respond when someone uh, slanders you? When someone mistreats you? When someone walks all over you? Well, look at these words. Put these things away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. He says here is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all, meaning we're all one. There's no difference. None of us are better than the other. It doesn't matter any background or anything else. We are all one in Christ. That if this was a church that was, was perfectly one in Christ and, and we crossed all uh, nationalities, we would see every color of the rainbow in here. 
of all kinds of people. Because it wouldn't matter the color of the skin. It would matter that we're all one in Christ. That is the common factor. The common factor is there's oneness. Now, I'm not going to go there this morning. It's not keen to this text. But racism creeps in, even into Christian circles. And even Christians would say, well, I'm not racist. But when you think of other people, you're a racist. You following me? When you talk about those people, you're a racist. And I hear point a finger and say, shame on us, but we are one in Christ. We are one. We look through the body of Christ. We see people from all tribe, tongues, and nations. We're one. It's not those people and, oh, those people. It's one. It's unity. Okay. Whole list of all these things. We're not going to spend time this morning going through each one, defining each one. Here's what I want you to see. By the way, this list is not exhaustive. It's just a sample list he's giving them. There's many more things to put off. He gives them a sample list. But he starts off with the words, put to death. How does that sound to you? Does it sound like Paul starting with a suggestion? Here, let me, let me give you a suggestion. What it, Put to death? Finality? Do you hear the urgency in that? Like, don't, don't just play with it. Don't just ponder it. Don't, don't do anything around. Don't flirt with it. Kill it, is what he's saying. He's saying put it to death. If something is put to death, there's no more life in it. You guys follow me? He's saying these things shouldn't resurrect and keep coming back. Put them to death. And many of us in our Christian walk, we don't seek to put things to death. We kind of want to just like tone it down a bit. Let me turn down the volume a little bit on that. Let me, let me hide a little bit of that. Let me, I don't want to expose so much of that. He says, put it to death. It, it's not a, a term that it's to toy around with. It is to bring finality to it. To be done with it. Not to keep a reservation for it. But that it's over. You see, when we choose sin, we're choosing to serve ourselves, just flat out. It's, you know what, I know that I shouldn't do this, I know it doesn't represent Christ, but I'm going to represent me. That's the choice. We go there and we decide that. And, and the Bible says at that point we're guilty of idolatry, that we're worshiping ourselves rather than God. And that's a pretty heavy thing, to choose to serve ourselves rather than God. So, put to death. Think about sin in our life. Do we have a pet sin? Do we have something that we've relabeled? Instead of sin, we call it my weakness. Those of you that have ministered to one another and you talk to people, you hear people say that, well, I know this is wrong. It's just my weakness. Paul says, put it to death. Don't keep dragging it around and say, it's just my weakness. He says, look, if, you, if that limb is broken, cut it off. Don't keep dragging it around. If it's not helping you and it's hindering you, kill it. Put it to death. Sadly, as I said before, many of us keep a reservation. Guys, what does it mean to keep a reservation for something? You're waiting for it. You're waiting for it. I put it back there. It's behind me, but I know it's still there. And at any time, I can pull that card. And I can say, you know what? How about this one? You heard this one? I'm only human. 
Yeah, I've done that one before. I'm only human. I mean, I'm not Jesus. These are things people say. You might have said these as well. I mean, I'm not perfect. You guys heard these? Paul doesn't mention any of that. He says, put it to death. Put it down. Slay it. Lay it down. Some of us think if I only ponder in my mind, then it's okay. I need to glorify God in my thoughts, in my speech, and my deeds. And remember, sin, once it's conceived in the mind, then it bears fruit. So it starts here. Remember the first point? Put on a holy mindset. Put on that holy mindset. And part of that is God hates sin. Christ had to die for sin. Think about that. God hates sin. Christ died for sin. So what does it look like when I'm flirting with sin? Not a holy mindset. It's earthly. It's carnal. If I'm flirting with sin, it's a sure sign that I have a reservation for it. That I'm just waiting. I'm tempted. I'm seeing how close can I get to the edge before I fall. That's flirting with sin. Holy mindset is so crucial. By fixing our eyes, our heart, our mind on Christ, we close all reservations. There's no option there. If my mind is on the Lord, there is no reservation for sin. If I'm thinking about Christ, I'm not thinking about screaming at this person next to me. Keep our minds on things above. When I'm fixed on pleasing God, I'm not thinking about sexual sin. I see the mindset? When I'm fixed on pleasing God, I'm not thinking about how much that person upset me and how much they need a piece of my mind. When my mind is fixed on pleasing God, I'm not thinking how to lie to persuade people or how to get out of trouble. When my mind is fixed on God, I do not compromise anything in my Christian walk. Because my mind is fixed on pleasing Him. It is that holy mindset that helps me with these holy put-offs. That holy mindset that would keep me going after these. That I will not minimize sin. I will not marginalize sin. I will not rationalize sin. I will not excuse sin. I will not justify sin. I won't flirt with sin. But I'll put it to death. That's what Paul's talking about. See, when you have a holy mindset. You slay sin. Some of you go, Pastor, that's all nice and easy in words. But I have lived the Christian life long enough to know that sin likes to rear its ugly head. That sin always seems to be crouching at the door and its desires for me, as God would tell Cain. But I must rule over it and slay it. I must choose that I will not go there, but I will keep my mind on things above. That by keeping my eyes on things above, Paul goes through this list, that we'll abstain from sexual sin, that we won't respond in our emotion in a manner that displeases God. Anybody have that problem where emotion comes up? We call it the blood begins to boil. Do you know when the blood begins to boil, usually nothing good is going to come out of your mouth at that point? that you need to put on a holy mindset. Lord, help. He says, 
that when we put on that holy mindset, that the words we speak to one another won't be lies, but we'll be speaking the truth in love. To speak the truth in love. Brings us to our third point this morning. So we have a holy mindset. Through that holy mindset, we have holy put-offs. But now there are what we replace that with. What do we do? There's holy put-ons. So the holy put-ons, we begin in verse 12. Verse 12, very beginning of it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. I'm going to stop there. Put on. Guess who that word? Put on? It means to clothe yourself, to dress yourself, to put on. Look, if someone came knocking on your door and they had jeans on and a t-shirt and they said, open the door and you look through and you see the people, you're like, who are you? I'm the police. You going to open your door? Why aren't you going to open your door? They said they're the police. Because they don't look like the police. They look like some guy in jeans and a t-shirt on. But if they came up and they looked the part, you might believe them. They might not be the police, though. But they at least looked the part. Paul's talking about clothe yourself, dress, put on, look the part that you are. Remember, if you are raised with Christ, if you are a believer, you're already holy. You're already, you have Christ in you. He says, now, dress the part. Look like it. He tells us why we should do this. Look at verse 12 again. Look how he describes us. God's chosen ones who are holy and beloved. Now stop there. Paul's giving instruction for people to walk holy who are already holy. What? You see, your holiness is found in Christ alone. Your righteousness with your clothing is in Christ. That you've been sanctified. You've been set apart for God's purposes because of Christ. Not because God looked and said, oh, she's doing a good job, let's pick her. He's doing a good job, let's pick him. He said, they're all in need of grace. They're all in need of my mercy. But when you receive Christ, you received holiness. You are holy. You are loved. You are chosen. And that's how God refers to us. It's a beautiful thing to refer to us as chosen ones, holy and beloved. Look at verse 12 again. You see, God has chosen us, not based upon anything that we have done. As a matter of fact, look at Titus chapter 3, verse 5. We see that he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So here's what I want you to get from this. It's easy to go through a, a sermon and hear, I need to be a better Christian. It's not what Paul's arguing this morning. He's not saying be a better Christian. He's saying be who you are. Be who you are in Christ. That God has redeemed you. He's made you this way. Walk like it. He's not saying be better. He says you already this. Walk in these things. Put on the mindset. Clothe yourselves in these things. Display it to the world who you've been created in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. And he is holy. So guess what? We are holy. And since we're made holy through him, the scripture urges us now walk in holiness. Walk in holiness. Paul says put on, clothe yourself. 
Man, imagine this. Imagine you've been uh, falsely accused of, of some heinous crimes, and you hire yourself the best attorney there is to represent you. And you meet with her over and over again, and, and you're impressed by how professional she is, how she has every detail. And then comes your court date, and you get to court, and you're waiting for her to arrive, and you look, and here she walks in with jeans and a T-shirt and some sneakers on. What do you think? She's walking into court in jeans, a T-shirt, and sneakers. The people in the courtroom are going to think you hired your sister to represent you. Like, what's going on? She is not looking the part. She's not looking professional. She's not looking of any, any authority. She comes in completely casual. Paul says here that we're to clothe ourselves. To clothe ourselves with the things of Christ. To clothe ourselves. Think about what he's saying here. He lays out these things starting at the end of verse 12. Things that we're to emulate. He says, put on then as chosen ones, verse 12, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Well, that doesn't sound like clothes. He's not talking about clothing. He's not talking about the jeans or the t-shirt or the sneakers. He's talking about people would look at us and they would see Christ by the way that we respond and act and live. The way we think, we speak, and we do. Put on Compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, and put on patience. Now, Paul has a thing for contrasting. Remember the holy put-offs? Remember the anger, the wrath, the malice, the slander, the words, the destruction. And now look at the flip side. These he would refer to as the fruit of the Spirit. To be compassionate, to be kind, to be humble, to be meek. To be patient. Now, I don't know about you, but that might not be the natural demeanor of how we respond to things, especially to difficult situations. Now, it's easy to be loving when others are being loving, but to be kind when someone's being rude, to return a blessing when someone attacks you, these are the things that can only be done through the Spirit of God. And this is what he's talking about. He's saying you've been given the Spirit of you are new in Christ. He says, goes on and he says this. He says in verse 13, he says, Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also... You ready? You ready for that word? Anybody have a black highlighter? Can't use it here. The word is must. Forgive. Must. Not you should forgive, but that you must forgive. And he says, as the Lord has forgiven you. How has the Lord forgiven you? Partially? They say, hey, I forgive you, but I want nothing to do with you. I don't ever want to see you again. But I forgive you. Because that's a worldly forgiveness. The Lord has forgiven us out of love. The Lord has allowed love to cover a multitude of sins. To forgive, he says, you must forgive. To be forgiven, I now, in turn, must forgive. And church, I will tell you this. Out of all that we say, this might be the biggest thing that just stops out to you. goes, forgiveness is hard. I'll tell you this. Forgiveness is impossible without the Spirit of God. Forgiveness is impossible 
without the Spirit of God. True biblical forgiveness is impossible without the Spirit of God. We can conjure up our own definition of forgiveness or what it means and say, oh yeah, I've forgiven them. But forgiveness doesn't have baggage of bitterness alongside of it. Bitterness, uh, forgiveness doesn't have baggage of resentment alongside of it. Biblical forgiveness is forgiving as Christ has forgiven us. He doesn't carry resentment and bitterness. He doesn't carry the, well, you did this to me, so now I'm going to ignore you. He forgives. He says, above all that, verse 14, above all that, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He talked about compassion. He talked about being kind, humble, meek, patient, forgiving, and loving. And all of those things are others-centered. If you go back up to the put-offs, they're all self-centered. And all the put-ons are all others-centered. Holy put-ons are focused on loving God and loving others. This is called fruit of the Spirit. As Christians, we should be bearing fruit. We should be encouraging one another to bear much fruit. That these things would be evident in our lives. That when we walk by the Spirit, people would see it. That we are clothed in Christ. That we're walking contrary to our old selfish nature. And we're walking in the Spirit of God. Read with me in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15-17. through 17. He says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Just live moment by moment, humbly, in God's peace. What? With all the tragedy, with all the suffering, with all the circumstances of life, how could I possibly do that? What's point number one? Holy mindset. Put on the holy mindset. To live like Christ means a life that is full of thanksgiving, not a life full of grumbling. Church, I don't know about you, but isn't the natural response to grumble about things? To complain about things? Why is this still that? Why is that still that? What? On and on. But instead, through a holy mindset, to be thankful. To be thankful for what is. To live like Christ means to saturate ourselves in the Scriptures and to share that with others. We spoke about it in Bible study this morning. We see that we're to admonish one another with the Word of God. Can any Scripture stand out to you when you're reading through God's Word? When you're studying on your own? Share with others. Text it. Call them. Talk about it over breakfast. But stir up a love of God through His Scriptures. You know that we don't live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We're to be daily stirring up one another to love and good works. To live like Christ means a day that's full of rejoicing, he says. A day full of praising God. Church, the application he gives in this text is so opposite of our natural response to life. It is the only reaction that can happen through the Spirit of God. 
Does anybody naturally rejoice in suffering? I don't think so. It's not a natural response. But with a holy mindset and through the Spirit of God, you could rejoice at all times. You could be thankful at all times. It's an amazing thing. Being a new creation. Paul writes these 17 verses, and in those 17 verses, he describes something that seems so contrary and out of this world. Guess what? That's us. That our citizenship is in heaven. That we are a new creation. And he says, you've already been fashioned this way. You've already been created this way. You already have all the tools necessary. Walk in it. Walk in it. He says, this is you. It's possible. You have all these things. Put on that mindset. And through that mindset, put off the things of the world. And put on the things of Christ. Church, no longer put together the checklist of the, the do's and don'ts of what you think you must be doing. But instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the mindset of Jesus. Keep your eyes on things above. And when you keep your eyes on things above, guess what? You start putting to death the things of the earth. When you keep your eyes on things above, you start putting on the things of Christ. But it starts and ends with the holy mindset. Everything comes through that. For His glory, His glory alone. Let's pray. Father, a heavy message of application this morning that God, in our flesh, we would hear and say, well, that's impossible. Father, for anyone here this morning that would hear the words of Colossians chapter 3, and they would reason these things to be foolishness. These things are impossible. Father, I pray in the name of Christ that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would draw them to salvation in Christ. Father, for those of us who have the Spirit of God and yet still say, these things are difficult. These things are challenging. Father, we are reminded this morning that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That, God, you have given us everything that we need to bring you glory. God, help us to put on a holy mindset, to be reminded that we are holy. And that we're to walk in holiness, to represent Christ, to be ambassadors of His. Father, I pray that we would not walk out of here with the idea that we need to be better Christians, that we need to do more, but that we would just put on the mindset of who we are, our identity in Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.